Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. You know, there's uh, something about this <clears throat> olfactory sense in the human brain that when you smell something that you smelled a long time ago, but when you smelled it a long time ago, you remember something that happened in that moment. It's called recall. It, it's a, <clears throat> a tangled place between the the olfactory senses, the hypothalamus, and the hippocampus, and that memory comes back when the smell comes back. And what also comes back are all the chemicals of the emotional state you were in at the moment you smelled it last. Doesn't matter if it's burnt coffee or spilled beer or somebody who threw up after too much alcohol. Or for me, one of those smells is fresh cut grass. Playing football as a kid, two a days from my freshman year in high school all the way through. Being up at 8 o'clock in the morning when the grass was still damp and wet and smashing your face into the ground with every block and every play. Sweating your backside off in the August sun in the middle of the afternoon from 4 to 8 football practice in the second half of the day. The smell of fresh cut grass is, borders on traumatic and yet at the same time is probably some of the greatest memories of my life. To this day, when I mow the yard, my mind goes back to football. Every customer in your life, especially the ones that you can do the greatest amount of work with and business with, they have those same memories in their life, and you can find them in the course of a story. And that's what you're going to learn in this episode of Leading Leaders. Stay tuned if that's important to you. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And I know that there are those <clears throat> moments in time that you don't want to look back on. The moments in time that you do look back on and you think, wow, I wish it hadn't been like that. Or I'm not sure how to undo that. Or I wish I could forget. But see, those kind of moments that are in your life, they're attached to little things of phrases, places, smells, sights, sounds, lights. And when those moments come up again, there's an opportunity to uh, deal with them, to resolve them. In fact, Dr. Caroline Leaf teaches in her 21-day detox a way to take that moment in your mind, especially the ones that are painful and destructive, and they're associated with the sight, a sound, a smell, a memory, a phrase, a, a word, a, a person, a location, and re-anchor them to a new set of sights, sounds, smells, phrases, sounds, locations. And, and dissociate the bad event from the sight, sound, or smell. And one of the things that she talks about doing that is to find a fragrance that is your favorite fragrance. And then to mentally take yourself back to that dangerous, scary, frightening, painful, hurtful place... But then move that imagination, that memory, into a new place and demonstrate your own control of it. Maybe by lighting a lavender candle and sitting in a hot bath of a bubble bath. Maybe it's going fishing with a friend and burning a fire next to the, to the lakeside. These are places where you recreate memories, where you take the old memory and you beat it into submission into the new memory and you tell the old memory, you don't have that kind of control over me anymore. 
But see, there's a process to doing that, and it takes at least 21 days to bake to break the old habit that's been baked into your memory. You've got to crush it up, convert it into something else, reattach those memories in a way that you want to. That's a lot of therapy. That's a lot of work. I mean, it can be done just with you. Uh, grab the 21-Day Detox by Caroline Leaf. There's a, a book now, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, but I know there's an online course. If you go to Caroline Leaf's website, you can find that online course. She repeat, requests people to do that, not just once, but to repeat it at least twice to break the habit, then create the new habit. But it's best if you repeat that neuro cycle every 21 days with a new thing. Maybe it's losing weight. Maybe it's fighting diabetes. Maybe it's fighting your, your addiction to sugar or your addiction to binge watching shows or reading novels that are not beneficial to your brain. Whatever it is, you can break those cycles and create new cycles that are more healthy, more habitually positive than habitually negative. The neuro cycle is the way to do that. Dr. Caroline Lee teaches it. What I teach, though, is communication skills. And so what I want you to understand is there are those things that you say that maybe it's a, a cute phrase or a coined phrase that you've heard and you don't think much about it. And you use that phrase and you see people react. I can't believe you said that. The shock on their face, the pain in their voice, the, the way they react, it's obvious that you said something that offended them or surprised them or devastated them. And it's easy, if you're not careful, to walk down a path where you've created a gap, a wound between you and the people that you want to help. That's not beneficial. The challenge for a lot of people is they feel like, I'm just sharing my story, but just sharing my story doesn't ask the question, who is it that I'm trying Something to help? Wrong. Goodbye, Siri. I didn't say anything to you. Goodness. When the phrase that you're using creates pain in somebody else, creates confusion for somebody else, creates some kind of unknown experience that they're not sure what to do with, or it takes them back to a place that isn't beneficial to them, that moment can traumatize them. And if you do it because the story that you're telling is just my story, I'm just, I'm just telling my story. And whether you think that's bold or authentic or innocent, if you're not cautious about the words that you choose when you very intentionally invest in the story that you're creating, the odds that you're going to trigger somebody else are, well, they're very high because humans have experiences and not all of them are positive. And because humans have experiences and they're not all positive, there's going to be something in someone else's life that maybe you tripped over, traipsed through like the daisies in the middle of a Sunday afternoon and it was no big deal to you. You went right past it. But somebody else's life was devastated by exactly the same moment. A tornado blew through town and ripped the roof off the school building. And you were 10 miles away. You saw it hovering in the air. And, and you're thinking, wow, that's really cool. I got that on video. That was really cool. And then I got a million views on my YouTube channel. And then all of a sudden, my YouTube blew up. And I became an overnight influencer sensation because I caught that video of the roof blowing off the school. And when you tell that story in front of an audience because it's a hero moment, it's an opportunity for you, it's a, it's a breakthrough moment for you, and a mom in the room breaks into tears and realizes that's the same day, the same school, the same tornado, the same roof where she lost her five-year-old, who was a student in that school, 
and there was no alarm and nobody knew they could save them. And your joyous moment of celebration becomes a trigger to her most painful moment in life. You follow me? It's real easy to have that moment where your perspective, your perception, the event as you remember it is entirely different than the same event as experienced by others. There's also a truth that there's a resonance in the way that you tell a story. When you've shared an experience with someone and you can say a phrase or two, a turn of phrase or two, that's it's almost like code. It's, it's kind of cloak and dagger. It's buried in the story and if you know, you know. And if you don't know, you don't even care. But if you know, you know. One of the phrases being battered around in the media these days is gaslighting. Now, if you've never studied much psychology, if you don't know much about the patterns of abuse, gaslighting is just a phrase. And even today, I hear people throw it around almost as flippantly as they do the word truth. It's your truth, it's my truth, it's their truth, it's our truth, it's somebody else's truth. That's not a truth I agree with. Uh, truth doesn't work like that, I'm sorry. Facts don't care about your feelings. Truth is truth. Gravity, it's always gravity. Gravity doesn't care about your opinion. Gravity doesn't care about your intellectual ability. Gravity doesn't care about your education level, your race, your nationality, your religious belief. Gravity don't give a rip. Gravity is gravity. And it will always be Gravity. And until you overcome the law of gravity with the law of lift, gravity is still gravity and gravity still wins and it doesn't care how you feel about that. Trip over the curb and see if gravity doesn't slam you on your face if you don't catch yourself. Gravity don't care about who you are or what you have or how much you own or how educated or intelligent or wise you are or how smart or how friendly you are or how lovely or lovable you are. Gravity doesn't care care. Gravity is a law. Gravity is a fact. Gravity is a truth. Get over it. When you start using words like gaslighting, they have a meaning. They have a definition. They have historic meaning that identifies a particular process, a manipulative way of changing someone else's perception of what is true. It doesn't change the truth. It just changes your perception of it. That's a very specific meaning. When people start throwing around the phrase gaslighting, it could mean anything because people just use it however they want to. In fact, they make up a sentence and they go, oh yeah, well that was gaslighting. Well, no, that was broccoli. Broccoli and gaslighting, they have nothing to do with each other. Just because you call it gaslighting doesn't make it gaslighting. You're just using a word that you've heard a lot to define something that it's not. Vodi Bauckham did a great teaching, about an hour and a half long, on the idea of social justice. I thought he did a phenomenal job on it. Great research, great presentation. Deep, deep, deep presentation. He went all the way back to the history of the origins of the word social justice. But he also quoted... Um, the Princess Bride. And he said, understand that when you say that word, I don't think it means what you think it means. I don't think it means what you think it means. And yet you keep saying it. Social justice is one of those words that, like gaslighting, got thrown around by the public, thrown around by the media, used by everybody to mean whatever they wanted it to mean. Nobody had any reference point for what it actually meant. 
That kind of flippant use of vocabulary has the same kind of effect on an audience as talking about the tornado that made you a superstar and meant the end of somebody else's world. The inability to understand how those words are anchored in somebody else's life, the inability to read the crowd, because I'm just telling my authentic story, I'm telling what's true to me, and I don't care about anybody else. I'm, I was the hero of the moment. Look at me, hero. Look at me, shine. Look at me. I caught the video of the roof being blown off the school. That was an awesome moment in my life, and I don't really care about anybody else's life or how traumatic it was for them or their children. You know, that, that's, that, that's not what I'm here to talk about. That's not good communication skills. That's not good leadership. That's certainly not going to land you any new business. That's not going to build relationships in lives that you want to transform or change. No, that's going to create pain and emotional gaps and emotional distance. And there is no winning in that. There is no winning in that. Earlier this week, I had a chance to speak in front of a, the PTA's council. This is the superintendent presented first. My job was to present after him to talk about the power of story and how it impacts growth in a school and the impact that it has on students and teachers alike. And I was supposed to have 45 minutes to present. By the time it was my turn to speak, we were fully 45 minutes behind schedule and my time was cut to less than 20 minutes. That wasn't as bad as the lady who was supposed to present behind me. Um, she was supposed to be done at 11 because she had an 11 o'clock meeting and she didn't get the platform until 11. So she apologized and carried her stuff and walked out the door. I'm sorry I would have gone after her if I didn't already have another meeting that was an hour's drive away. So I took the 20 minutes that I had. I did the best presentation that I could, cutting a 45-minute presentation to 20. Trust me, when you're a professional speaker, that is a more common experience than you can possibly imagine that the person preceding you or the person introducing you doesn't have any regard for how much time you're supposed to have or how much time you should have. And I can also tell you as a professional, it's probably one of the most disrespectful things in the world to not honor the time that you have. If you don't have an internal clock or an internal stopwatch that knows what two minutes or five minutes or 25 minutes is, get a timer. I keep one right in front of me because this show is not only on live stream to various social media platforms, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., etc. It also goes up to four different broadcast networks, and those broadcast networks have hard breaks. They have commercials they have to insert. They have sponsorships to include. When that's the case, you've got to honor the time window, or you don't get the time. You won't get the time that you paid for if you don't fit the window. If you're a professional speaker, that's a very important aspect. Now, you might ask yourself, how do you compress a 45-minute talk into 20 minutes? Well, first off, it helps if you know what you're talking about. If you're not just following an outline or following somebody else's slideshow, facilitating someone else's content is entirely different than creating your own. Completely different than creating your own. Also, knowing the roadmap of where you want to go. What is the beginning? What is the end? What is the conclusion? What are the calls to action? How do you connect with them? All of these things fit. Here's another thing that's really important to being able to compress the time that you have to speak. Understanding the pain of the people that you're trying to help. See, there's, 
Just like the smell of fresh cut grass or the, the memory of a tornado blowing through town or the story of an event that happened or the phrase that just kind of catches on everybody's tongue. Sometimes it's overabused, sometimes it's underutilized. But all of those aspects, they, they lend to the awareness of shared ground, common experiences, common goals, common pain. They come through common phrases. If I were to say a thing like, Turn your head and cough. The average person hears that and thinks, <clears throat> don't cough in people's faces. Duh. But if, like me, you were that seventh grade boy had never been told or never been explained what was going to happen the day you got your first physical, and all 75 other seventh grade boys lined up all the way down the hallway into the gym, and as we turned into the gym and the door closed behind us, they told us, strip down to your underwear. And we all looked at each other, horrified, like, what? And then when we walked around the corner for the next 10 people, the doctor would say, take your underwear off. What? Are you kidding me? There's 50 guys standing here. And then the doctor would do that thing that doctors have to do for 7th grade boys to know they don't already have a hernia or some other kind of problem. The most embarrassing, most humiliating, most horrifying moment of a little boy's life. Turn your head and cough. That's a memory not soon forgotten. And if you're a mother of a teenage boy who probably came home with tears in his eyes and a little bit mortified at that moment, you get it. And if you're a man of any age, you get it. If you're a teenage girl, you don't get it. They don't do that. They have different problems and traumas and relax and put your feet in the stirrups is one of those phrases. Those two things don't go together. That's like military and intelligence or postal and service. They don't go together. It's an oxymoron. Relax and put your feet in the stirrups. No, that doesn't happen like that. Neither does turn your head and cough. And relaxing it. <laughs> you don't get a cough out. There's no air left in you. You're as deflated as you're going to get, like an empty balloon. But see, I don't have to describe that entire moment. If you've ever been there, if you know, you know. Turn your head and cough is a, a recall to a traumatic moment. It's a phrase that all in its own carries an emotional set and guys hear it and they shiver and it just runs down their spine and their hair stands up on the back of their neck and they're like, I will never forget that moment. And then if I say that emotional scene, that turn your head and cough feels just like we need to talk. Oh <laughs> Yes, it does. It feels exactly the same, exactly the same emotional set, two different phrases. But the emotional experience that goes along with that, yeah, pretty much the same. And for a lot of men on their wedding day, do you take this woman to have to hold for the rest of your life? Had a very similar feeling. When you understand that power of a singular phrase that resonates within the deep emotional set and memories of your clients, especially your ideal client, who do you help and how? If you can answer the question, who do you help and how, and identify the phrase that they repeat on a regular basis, I'm just trying to keep it all together. I understand that my world is falling apart at the seams and there's nobody holding the seams. 
I'm down to my last dime, and I'm not sure it's a dime. I believe it was R.W. Shambach said, when you find yourself at the end of the rope, tie a knot, baby. Just don't fall off. All right. If you found yourself at the end of the rope and you're tying a knot, I can help you. See how that phrase all of a sudden, if you found yourself at the end of the rope and you're tying a knot to hold on, waiting for something else to come along to be your hero. If you understand that phrase, if you've been there, if you've lived in that moment, you know what it feels like. My sisters have bought me two shirts in the course of my life. One of them said, mom likes me best. Another one says, help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. Another one says, I talk, therefore I am. Those tell you a lot about what my sisters think of me. But if you've had siblings and they have that kind of view of you, one of my compadres, a friend in business and and a friend in life, is the seventh of seven. Actually, right in the middle. There are six brothers and one sister. Can you imagine growing up as the only sister of seven? Can you imagine that? Imagine what life is like in that environment? I have another one who's the middle of nine and only two girls. That's a whole different kind of life than equal balance of girls and boys and girl power and boy power in the house. But see, there are some common phrases that grow up in an environment like that, like tomboy. Oh, one of them is very much a girly girl. I mean, she would rather run around in, in jeans and sweats and her hair back in a ponytail and, and not think about it. But when you see her on stage, you would never imagine that if she didn't tell you that. She's very girly girl, very pink, very frilly, very delicate, very feminine. You wouldn't expect that she grew up playing football in the front yard with her brothers instead of dancing around playing ballet. A whole different thing. But there are some phrases that someone like that uses that if you know, you know. You're like, yep, I get it. Been there, done that. I know exactly what that feels like. There's a pain in the heart of your ideal customer. When you know who you help and how, there's something that they've experienced that you've experienced. Some pain that they've been through or maybe they're currently living in that you've lived through and you found a solution to. And as a communicator, as a leader, as a speaker, as a storyteller, if you can embed that phrase in the story that you're telling, chances are you're going to win their heart because they know that you know. Tuesday, when I spoke to the ISD, one of the ladies who is a PTA president from another school, sitting in the audience, and I told the story about how the story power in your mind It's the story you keep replaying in your mind. And ironically, the subconscious mind doesn't care if it's true or not. If you're saying it, subconscious mind believes it and accepts it, even if it's a lie. And I spent most of my life believing I was fat and unlovable and nobody would want me. And 10 years into my marriage, not only did I still believe that, I tried to convince my wife it was true as well. And one day, 10 years into our marriage, she said those four words that make every man tremble. We need to talk. At the end of the day, we sat down at the end of the bed and she said to me, when you try to convince me that you're fat and unlovable, you're asking me to believe a lie. I know God sent you as a gift to me. 
I know everything that you've done and I have forgiven everything that you've done and I need you to see you the way I do. Those words saved our marriage, saved my life. Because I probably would have ended it if, if I left there that day without her. I probably would not have had any, any passion whatsoever to live. That was 20 years ago. This year will be our 30th year of marriage. But when I shared that story in the classroom, one of the moms in the group heard that. I could see tears in her eyes. And I said, you know, there's, there's something to knowing that after all these years, she still chooses me. And so when I told him I have one book to give away, the lady practically jumped out of her seat and she said, just last night, my husband and I had that argument. He travels for his business and I don't always get to go with him. And, and I told him, you know, I feel jealous when you're gone that, that you're going to find somebody else while you're gone and not come back to me. And he said, I chose you 12 years ago. I'm not unchoosing you now. The deep hurt and resonance that feels that constant rejection. She was feeling it right then. She heard it in my story. She celebrated with my wife of 30 years to say, to know that you can still hold on 10 years in, 12 years in, 30 years in. Wow, that's important. And in that moment, I spoke her language. And in a single phrase, I saw myself as fat and unlovable and I knew nobody would want me. That phrase resonated with her. It broke her heart because it pierced her heart because she could look in the mirror and say the same thing of herself. She knew that feeling of rejection. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to live there. But it happens. When you can identify that phrase that identifies that pain, that identifies that need for a solution in the life of your ideal customer, if you know who you help and you know how, then you should also have a pretty good idea what that phrase is that's rattling around in their head that when you say it, they're like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. I haven't been able to put my fingers on it yet, but, but yes, that, that expresses exactly how I feel. When you can do that and embed it in your story, the story you tell will change the lives of the people you come to help. The power that you have to change their life will be significant. The opportunity that you have to change their life can be life-changing for you financially, but it can certainly be life-transformative for the people that you've come to help. Figure out what the phrase is rattling around in the head of your ideal customer. Find the place where you resonate with that phrase. And honestly, with integrity, with originality, with authenticity, embed that phrase in the content of your story in the proper context. And if you know... You know, I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time, and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business. Uh, grow your career, uh, Lauren will serve you well. Thank you. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.